If you have a Bible, let's go. Hebrews chapter 12, we're, we're in a series about uh, offenses, about not taking offense specifically. We're calling it no offense. It's a statement that we say right before we offend somebody. Um, uh, but, but here in the church, here's what uh, the whole thesis is of this series, is that the Christians, we as the family of God, should be the least offensive and the hardest to offend in all the world. That doesn't mean that we don't stick to our truth, that we don't say things that people will stumble over. That's what we've been called to. We are the scandalon of God. It's the Greek word for stumbling block. There's going to be things that we say the world's not going to agree with. That's okay. But as we disagree, we do it in love. We do it in a way that seeks to build and not tear down. As we walk through life and the journey that God's given us as his church, we seek to think the best of people, to give the benefit of the grace I've heard it called, and to not take offense, and to not be offensive, to live rather in love, seeking unity all the time. Um, today we're going to go into a part of offense that is kind of the, uh, the uh, long-term effects of not dealing with your offenses in, a, in an appropriate amount of time. We're going to talk about bitterness today and how it can take root in our hearts and how that's not what God wants to have happen in us at all. But let, as we get going, let's kind of start with some of the, uh, the more innocent uh, uh, offenses in life. Anybody got pet peeves? Who's got a pet peeve? Anybody got one? All right, turn to the person next to you and tell them one of your pet peeves. Make sure it doesn't involve them if you can. Go ahead. What's a pet peeve? All right, I'm going to go because I can hear my wife over here in the front row sharing hers right now, and I know exactly what it is. It's loud mouth noises. Am I right, Eleanor? Does anybody else have an aversion to people chewing with their mouth open, to slurps, and all that kind of stuff? Okay, that's fine. The rest of us, we're just trying to eat our food. All right, relax. Uh, there's a new one. Can I share this one, Eleanor? Here it comes. There's a new one. I eat, I eat strawberries and, and blueberries and raspberries together, and what do I do? I spray every individual spoonful with the goodness of whipped cream. Every one of them. Because here's the deal. You don't want to spray the whipped cream over your berries all at once. It's just going to melt and kind of disintegrate and be this big pool at the bottom of your berries. And so it's just efficient, guys. Berry, spray, bite. That's what you do every time. And so there's, you know, depending on how many bites, there's that many sprays. It's another noise makes Eleanor leave the room. All right. Uh, I have a pet peeve. I've talked about it before. Someone sent me, uh, one of my buddies, Preston, sent me this meme or this internet thing or whatever. This is my pet peeve. This is the Publix nearby, right? They're Americans in a nutshell. The cart collection area is two spaces over from somebody who just said, you know what, too far. Can't make it. It's just so hard. And listen, I had a, a, a mom come up to me after service last night and explain to me there could be young mothers who are trying to get back. And listen, there could be the infirm. There could, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that everybody is, you know, uh, beyond excuse on this. There's going to be certain situations. But can we all agree, it's not that hard. Just take the cart to where it goes, people, all right? No one can park there now because you've parked your cart, all right? And here's the other thing. Can we all agree to this one more time, just for your pastor? The next time you're at Publix or Sam's or Costco or wherever they got carts, if you're walking up and there's a cart right there, don't worry about taking the cart guy's job or ruining the economy somehow. Just grab that cart, walk it up. You're going there anyway. Set it with the rest of them. Use it yourself. That, that's the crazy thing to me. You go and grab a new cart when you were right by another one that was out there in the parking lot. Okay, I'm done. Is everybody good? 
Now, I, I got into that. Like, I don't know if you could tell. That's visceral for me. That's like a thing that bothers me. may not bother you. In fact, you might have been the person who put the cart there. And you're like, I'm not changing. Because it doesn't matter. And that's the great thing about pet peeves. They're trivial. Maybe not to us individually, but they're overall not going to be deal breakers in life. But there are offenses, can we all agree, that go way beyond the trivial. You are sitting in sections with people who as young children were abused by a family member. And that offense has shaped their entire lives. Maybe I'm talking to you. You're sitting in a row, perhaps, with someone whose spouse left them, and that's not what they wanted. And that offense has shaped everything moving forward from that experience. You're in a room, certainly, with people who have been hurt uh, in relationships at work, lost jobs unjustly, um, been accused falsely, um, uh, ran aground in life that was sailing just fine, but in a broken world where sin reigns, uh, at least on some level, God reigns over all. Is everybody grateful for that? But in, in a world where sin is rampant, put it that way, things break hurts arrive, many of them huge, difficult to overcome. Now, when those hurts register, uh, what can happen is they can kind of open up a, a wound in our hearts. They can dig a rut in our souls, and they can cause us to kind of walk around with one of these. Anybody got a bitter box? You don't see it. You got one. Everybody's got one because we're fine with most people, but there's that guy or that girl or that woman, or that man who hurt us previously in life, and when they come around, we get in. And it may not appear to anybody else around us that we're here, but we're here. We're smiling, saying all the right things at Christmas, you know, faking like we're okay. But underneath the surface, anger, bitterness, hatred happens. As Liberty was explaining the genocide in Rwanda, it, it can sometimes flow out of us, not just individuals, but entire people groups, and all of a sudden, the atrocities that history has uh, brought us are upon us in life, all because hurts happen and people don't deal. Now, let me say this. Uh, I'm not saying that there isn't going to be hard work involved with overcoming the bitterness in our lives. Matthew 18 talks about confronting, speaking truth and love, and, and for us to you know, roll up our sleeves and do the hard work. I'm not saying that every sin yeah, can be or will be uh, forgiven or, or that forgiveness will be sought in those things. But what I will tell you is that there's an equilibrium that we're meant to live at, this peace that surpasses understanding. This willingness, this readiness to forgive that comes from getting out of the bitter box and living life with God in his grace, ready to be a purveyor, a provider of that grace to those who have offended us. In the back of our Bibles, in this book that we call Hebrews, there's this letter that's written to a bunch of early Christian believers. They were formerly Jewish, uh, but they had come out of the Jewish religion into faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know much about the author. In fact, he's not identified, but we know a lot about who he's writing to because they're already to you know, cut the cord. They're ready to not be doing the Christian thing anymore. And the writer is writing to encourage them, to persuade them, to convince them that life with Jesus is superior to any other life they can experience. So he spends a lot of time 
arguing theologically throughout the book. He, he speaks in terms that a Jewish person would understand and that we might need help clarifying. But uh, uh, overall, through 11 chapters, he states his case. And then he gets to chapter 12, and in verse 1, he kind of pivots. He says, therefore, since we've been surrounded by so many other people who've gone before us, my paraphrase, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangle us, and let's run a race that's been marked out for us with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He says, hey, guys, I know it's hard. In fact, if I can put it in terms that we're talking about today, I know there's things that have, have happened in your life. You've been persecuted by the outside world. You've been rejected by your own families. You have been removed uh, from the economies of your culture because you've chosen Jesus. It's really hard not to have that set in as a hurt and for bitterness to be the result. But here's what I'm telling you. Jesus is worth it. Keep going in this life within. Run with perseverance the race that's marked out for you. And the rest of chapter 12 is where we're going to spend our time today. And we're going to try to answer a couple questions about these offensives that become bitterness. The first question that we're going to try to answer is this one. What must I know about the offenses that find me in life? Because they find you. Anybody just been having a day and all of a sudden you're offended? You've been hurt by someone else's choices? You weren't looking for it. It found you. What do we do about those things that find us, those offenses in the life that we live? First thing is this, know that God uses offenses to train us. Might not be what you wanted to hear right off the bat, but let me uh, get real practical. So that's, that's how the writer of the Hebrews uh, explains the difficulties of life. He says, listen, I know they're there. Uh, thankfully, God uh, protects us and, and provides for us in so many ways. There could be more, but in the ones that he allows to hit our lives, in those hurts uh, that lead to our bitterness. Uh, we should choose to see the things that he's trying to teach us in those things. Look what it says in verse 7. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? He, he's going to talk about discipline. Now, that word discipline in our Bibles is a Greek word. It's paideia. Everybody say paideia. It basically means punishment in some renderings of it in our Bible. So if you, uh, you know, uh, uh, run across uh, the line, uh, transgress, as the Bible uh, explains it, uh, the, the, the things that God has for you, uh, oftentimes you'll be punished. But there's another use of it here. It, it's, it's translated discipline in the NIV, which I'm preaching from today. He says, endure hardship. It, go through the hard things, even the bitternesses of your life, uh, and, and experience them in terms of learning from them. Endure hardship as discipline. That word paideia means um, teach, mold. And, and if you get to punishment, isn't that what punishment's for? If you're raising young children, and, and hopefully you know this, but if you haven't heard this yet, Punishment of your kids is not to emotionally satisfy you. It's not your revenge on them for, you know, uh, breaking the dish, okay? If you're punishing, you are meant to be shaping and impressing upon this young life. Here's how you're meant to live. You can't just do whatever you want. It's not going to work out. And so I'm grounding you, removing this, whatever you're doing, not because I want to hurt you, harm you. That's not the point of punishment. I want to shape you and mold you. And so the writer of Hebrews says, hey, guys, when you come to the hard stuff, just remember, God is training you as his children. He's showing you the things that you could never learn apart from going through this. 
A lot of times people come to God and say, why would he let me struggle? If he was a good father, he would not allow this to come. And certainly, as I've told you before, he keeps so much of what should beset us from becoming a part of our world. Everybody gets that, right? He is gracious to us. But even in the things that he does allow to slip through, he wants to work those together for our good, if we'll let him. So here's what we've got to do. We've got to come to him, and instead of bringing him doubt and derision, we need to instead look to him. Because here's what happens. When we get inside the bitter box, we get kind of tunnel-visioned, right? God kind of goes, bye-bye. And all we're focused on is the offense and the offender. Here's what they did. Here's who they are. And our heart is filled with anger and becomes bitterness and and we seek revenge. And what God says is, no, I don't want you in the box. And for you to get out of the box, you're going to have to take the blinders off. For you to be free of these things, you're going to have to, this is the more modern expression of this. Somebody got a set of these? These are so cool. I got to back up from the edge of the stage. But uh, like right now, I'm in an entirely different world than you guys, Right? Like this is the virtual or the, the real world and this is the virtual world that I'm finding. And so when we go into the box, we enter into this virtual world, this other world that we're not meant to be a part of. Uh, and, and we see things uh, in this world that aren't a part of the reality that God hopes for us. And so what he needs us to do is to leave that world that is built around the offense and the offender. How's my hair? And choose instead to walk with him, to look to him for the things that he wants to teach us. He wants to teach us things in the midst of our hurts and the, and the, bitter, the potential bitternesses of our lives that we just can't learn otherwise. Patience, new levels of peace. He wants to show us how we can learn to control our temper and how to honor him as a good father even when things aren't great. Second thing we need to know about offenses is that offenses will hurt initially, uh, but help eventually, right? Who's ever gotten this from a parent or, uh, you know, a superior of some sort saying, hey, man, I know this is hard, but in the end, it's going to pay off. Anybody ever gotten a speech like that? A lot of life is that way, isn't it? There's a cost that it has to be incurred before you can experience, uh, you know, the joys that await. I was talking with a teacher. How many of you guys teach in school? Anybody here teach in school? You guys are counting down the days, aren't you? You got like two more weeks, right? And students in here, you guys counting down the days? Come on. Everybody in that school is just like, <sighs> and they're going and going through these last couple of weeks of school and, uh, in anticipation of the freedom that is the summer, right? Well, it's, it's the same thing. It's hard for us to have that perspective, but as we walk through things, God wants us to see them as the opportunities potentially that they are. And to, and to know that as I walk through this, he walks with me. And on the other side of this, like my mom always says, this too shall pass. On the other side of these rapids, rapids the river's going to calm down. And it may not be what I preferred as my future, but it'll be something where God and I will figure it out. And we'll go forward from here. I just got to get through this. Know that the offenses hurt initially, but how to help eventually. No discipline, it says in verse 11 or that's that same word, paideia. Uh, no discipline or training seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. I love the honesty of our Bible. It's not like everything's great. Life stinks sometimes. But listen, later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained 
by it. What do we need to know about offenses? God teaches us through them. And that as we get through them, there's going to be something better on the other side. They're hard initially, but they help eventually. Second question we want to answer is this one. How do we get through these offenses, these difficulties, these potential, uh, you know, uh, um, bitternesses that come to our lives. How do we get through them? we got some motions for this one. Everybody ready? You ready? Here it comes. Ready? Everybody give me the gun show. Everybody got a gun show? Say power up. Okay, that's the first one. Say it one more time. What is it? Power up. Okay, everybody take it. We're going to do kind of a breaststroke here. Clear out. Everybody say clear out. What's the first one? Okay, I see some of you not doing this, and I'm just going to be honest with you. It's kind of hurtful. Yeah, you. Are you ready? You with me now? Here we go. What's the first one? Power up. What's the next one? Yeah, he started doing it. All right, cool. Uh, the third one's a little different. All right, just follow me. And Did anybody get a balloon on the way in? This is going to tie in, so just stay with me. Everybody blow up your cheeks. Then push them out. And then close them out like this. One more time, blow up your cheeks. Push it out. Sorry about the mic, Dave. Seal tight. What's the first one? What's the next one? Last one? I know. We won't do the cheeks every time. Verse 12. This is where we learn to power up and not let bitterness stop us. It says in verse 12, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Therefore goes all the way back, essentially, uh, to the message of verses 1 and 2 where it talks about that race. And says, hey, man, I know there's going to be hard things, but just, just trust me, God's going to use the hard things to endure hardship because God's going to teach you through it. Um, stay with me. It's going to be, uh, you know, hard in the initial phases, but eventually it's going to be a help. And so, in light of all those truths about discipline and the hard things of life, the writer of Hebrews says, keep going. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. And have ever long, everybody, uh, anybody who ever run for a long time and gotten tired? Like, like I was, I've told this story before, but I, years ago I was training for a marathon. I got up to like 12 and 13 mile runs. This is not meant to go 12 and 13 miles, just so everybody knows. And, and I, I would start, as, I, as I'd been kind of getting in the pattern of running, I, I did get stronger and better. And so the first six or eight miles, I'm keeping a great pace, you know, 20-minute miles? No. Anyway, uh, that's not fast. Anyway, uh, but, uh, but I'm keeping a great pace, but I get to 9, 10, certainly 11, 12. That 13th mile is the longest I ever went. That 13th mile, this is how I'm running. Anybody seen this guy on the road? You kind of giggle at him, don't you? Don't. He might have been going for a long time. This is all he's got. And if you've ever been there, you know how heavy your limbs feel how badly you want to stop. Happens all the time in the Christ life. Certainly, when the weight of bitterness comes upon us, it's just hard to move, hard to keep moving for sure. So the writer of Hebrews says to this disenchanted, discouraged group of readers, hey man, strengthen your arms. Now how do we get strength? All kinds of ways. But principally, as humans, the way that we draw strength is we fuel ourselves. We call it eating, right? And, and there's this, you guys learned this in health class in middle school. Garbage in, garbage out. You're just, what, you are what you eat. I was on a, a, a golf trip 
recently with some friends, and we were driving back, and we wanted to get back in good time, so we, didn't, we weren't interested in stopping for a meal where we could actually sit down and have something that might be healthy. So we pulled into a Wendy's, and if you work at Wendy's, if, you, if you're the fryer of the, uh, the square burgers, God bless you, those are delicious. Here's the deal, though. For like four years now, I haven't really gone to fast food restaurants, which you might be like, really? Yeah, no, it's true. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so I've gotten used to eating a, a better brand of food. And so uh, I made the mistake. as a hung- I hadn't had breakfast. I was super hungry. I bought the double cheese bomb, baconator, whatever it was, and, uh, and, and, the, and the fries to go with it. And I ate it in this truck as we were driving. And about 45 minutes after I ingested that stuff, I understood fully what a poor decision that was. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever eaten something and you're like, oh, that was not right? Well, that was my experience. And uh, uh, contrast that with, you know, these berries that I were talking to you about earlier that I spray every spoonful of. Um, Those are delicious, and they're better for your body. Who knew? The stuff that grows from the ground, it's good for you. Who knew? And, and, and when I eat those things and when I do things, uh, you know, like Eleanor and I will take walks sometimes after our meals. a great idea for the whole process to be, you know, um, a, a better thing. I feel great and I can tell. It's like I understand this principle that has been hammered to, uh, into us all our lives. You are what you eat. Now, we talk a lot in the Bible about the fruit of the Spirit. Who's heard of that one, right? In Galatians 5, it tells us that if you are in the Spirit, these are the things, the fruits that will come from you. It'll be the, the root that produces the fruit. And fruit. And so it's love and joy and kindness and peace and patience and uh, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Oh, there's one more. Self-control. There's another one in there. Anyway, uh, those are the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I, don't, I don't ever hear this taught this way, but... Can we, just for the sake of this conversation, say, wouldn't it be great that you ingest the fruit of the Spirit in order to produce the fruit of the Spirit? Like, if you want love to come out, you should put some love into your heart. And, and if you're going to keep going in this race, you've got to put the... Th- so here's what's happened in our culture over the last you know, three or four years, is, is it's become increasingly um, unlikely that people are going to hang out with the body of Christ. And I'm so glad that you're online, and I'm not discouraging that. Please keep coming. But, but there's all kinds of things. As COVID hit and other things, other cultural things kind of came upon us, is that there was this, this kind of like drift in the lives of believers, whether it was on a personal level or a relational level. And all of a sudden, we weren't coming to the table anymore of the good things that God would have to put in us so that we could stay strong and our arms would be strengthened and our knees would not grow weak. We, we just kind of, eh, we settled for Wendy's and the rest of what the world has to offer us, right? And what I and all the other churches that are worth their whatever uh, need to do as we preach is to remind us, hey, we've got to come around the table of God and eat the things that, so that we can have the strength that we need. Another way the Bible puts it is that we shall reap what we sow. If we're putting stuff in that's going to uh, translate to good stuff coming out, good on us. If, if we're not, that's just how this works. Power up. Don't let bitterness stop you. Clear out. Power up, right? Clear out. Pave the road, not just for you, but for all involved. Look at what it says in verse 13. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make level paths. He's quoting the writer of Hebrews, the Proverbs. Solomon sat down with his sons, wrote to his sons, and he said these words in chapter 4 of Proverbs, verses 25 through 27, in effect, hey, man, clear the path. Make it as easy as possible for you to pursue the right path in life with God. I remember when um, 
our kids were younger, uh, there would be times in Texas where we were living where friends would just come over, and we didn't know that they were going to come over, and our kids' stuff would be just strewn everywhere, laundry in the hallway where the, you know, the laundry stuff was and their toys. And we would actually have this experience as we led our friends, who we didn't care that they saw this stuff. We just didn't want them to trip on it, right? So we're tonka trucking over here, and we're pushing this over here, and people are walking through this house to, uh, to safety in the kitchen where we can hang out and do life. Uh, maybe in, in more modern or current iterations, it's like when you have to mow your lawn, and if you're living in a house like mine, there's huge trees that drop massive limbs and, and, and Spanish moss and stuff, and so that you don't wreck your mower every time you mow your grass, which for me is like once a month. But uh, um, So that you don't do that. You walk around, and the first part of mowing is clearing. Get all the stuff out of the way. Uh, this is a part of the spiritual life that the writer of Hebrews commends to his readers. Hey, man, make the path clear. What he's saying is, is essentially this. I want you to deal with the stuff in your life that will trip you up and those in life with you up. And, and here's what happens a lot of times with people when it comes to the hurts of their lives. They recognize it. They, they do some work to deal with it, but this is what they really do. Mind your step. This is a no-fly zone over here. Anybody been to the, the business that has one of these out? Someone spilled something. Maybe there's a, it's been raining and, and that hole in the ceiling is, is showing up in you know, literal ways, right? So they put this out to make sure that no one sues them. That's the chief reason, right? Don't slip too, but don't sue us. <laughs> but these, these are out there. Anybody been to a business that has one of these out there for like a year? Anybody had one of those? Does it kind of make you question why you're, you know, uh, patronizing this business? I mean, if you're not going to fix that, should I keep coming here? What's in the burgers? Anyway, uh, <laughs> these are meant to be temporary. And, and so often in the Christ life, we do temporary work on the stuff that just needs to be removed. Right? And, and these kind of temporary things are the, are the things in our life where, you know, when it's time for Christmas again, uh, everybody knows that you and this person... I mean, I haven't dealt with it, but everybody knows. Don't put me on the same end of the table with them. Don't situate with, you know, me near them as we're opening the presents. Everybody knows. Just walk around that. Watch your step. What God hopes for us is that we'll clear that stuff out. We'll deal with it once and for all. And listen, it's not, if, if I'm talking to you today and you're just sitting there and in your heart you're just shaking your head being like, you don't understand I may not. And, and you've heard this sermon before, and you're like, you just don't get it. I, I may not. God does. He knows you better than you know yourself. And here's the great news. He's more powerful than you are or that person is, and he's able by his grace and through his strength to overcome anything in us. I believe that with all my heart. And so you and I, even if we've shake, been shaking our heads through these sermons all of our lives, it's time for us to clear out once and for all our part in whatever is holding us back in our bitterness. About four years ago, um, there was a guy who used to come to our church and uh, uh, loved him, still do. Uh, had a great relationship. Uh, one morning, uh, it was the week of an Easter service uh, four or five years ago, he, he asked me to have breakfast with him. I was like, great, sure. And I don't think he intended it to turn out this way, but he had a, a long list, like a typed out list of things that were wrong in our church and, and, you know, consequently wrong about me as a leader of our church. And he tried with all of his might to present them 
um, as graciously as he could, but he was a passionate guy. And so for about an hour, I just kind of sat there and, and had a, 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 a brother that I loved tell me how bad I was doing at my job. Anybody been in that meeting? Uh, and I'm going to confess to you, I left that breakfast wanting to punch things, wanting to quit, and it didn't, and by God's grace, won't. And, and listen, there's so many hard jobs. I don't think mine's harder than anybody else's. I think spiritually, there's probably, you know, some different forces working against the leaders of churches that maybe, you know, aren't sent as, in great, as great numbers against others. So, not to make me special, but, but man, I, I know that our adversary wants me and every other leader to be discouraged. And, and I'll tell you, as I was driving away from that restaurant, our adversary was winning. And so here's what I did. <laughs> I prayed that all the hair on his armpits would turn to fish hooks. <laughs> and I stepped firmly inside this box. Now, that was difficult because we still had worlds that we were going to cross paths in. And I did my best as your pastor to smile and make nice. But inside, oh, it was just a bubbling cauldron of anger and spite. And so fast forward about a year, year and a half, he doesn't go here anymore. And, um, but I end up preaching at a local church that he is a part of. And I'm walking in, and I didn't realize he was going to be there. And the Holy Spirit just said, you're not preaching today until you deal with this. And I was like, me deal with this? I didn't write the letter. I'm the offended in this one, God. He's like, yeah, but you've preached this stuff before. You know your part. And so I'm walking to where I'm supposed to preach, and I see him, and I'm like, hey, man, can I get five minutes? And, and I yanked him. No, not a little bit. But, you know, we... Uh, I pulled him into a different room, and I, I proceeded to apologize to a guy that I thought should apologize to me. And I confessed my anger and bitterness and how it had controlled me in our relationship for the years since uh, the things had gone down. And I said, listen, man, I know you probably are completely caught off guard by this, but I just need you to know I can't preach today until I know we're okay. And I, I haven't been in my heart, and I want us to be. Are we good? And he's just looking at me like, yeah. And even that was kind of like, oh. seriously, Lord? Did this whole thing, and this turkey's still not going to see his side, right? So I'm like, all right. And I went and preached by God's grace. I didn't cuss or anything. And, uh, <laughs> and I just thought it was done. Until, uh, I'm not kidding, during COVID, uh, I would go to Costco, and this guy was there. I'm not kidding, three, four times in like, you know, a month or two of, of going to Costco. We just, God will do that, you guys. You know, let's just put them in the Costco parking lot together. <laughs> let's just see how this goes. And thankfully, by God's grace, it was cordial and, uh, you know, loving and honorable, awkward. And so that happened, and now I fast forward to this uh, past month where he, he emailed me out of nowhere. Hey, can we hang out? Absolutely. And recently I sat in my office with this guy for 90 minutes, and I'm here to tell you it was some of the most blessed minutes of recent years in my ministry as God wove back together a relationship that um, had been pulled apart by anger and hurt and bitterness 
We prayed for each other and with each other. We celebrated the things that were going on in his life and on, uh, in my life. And, and listen, I tell you that story, first of all, to encourage you, it's possible for you to step out of bitterness and into health in your relationships. But I'm telling you that to let you know this. You're probably going to have to make the first step. You can't wait around for the guy that hurt you to realize that he hurt you and to seek your forgiveness. You have to, without going through all the you know, technicalities of forgiveness and, and, and seeking forgiveness, listen, you've got to be okay with that person enough to where if forgiveness is, is proffered, you are willing and ready to give it. And if you're bitter, you're not. And it's this poison that you're constantly pouring for him and drinking yourself. And it'll hold you back, not just you, but everybody in life with you. The last thing is this, grab your balloons and I'll let you go home. Seal tight, don't blow into the balloons. Don't blow into the balloons and make little squeaky noises like some people like to. Just hold it there. Seal tight, be free of bitterness now and always. Let me read you these verses and then I'll tell you about the balloon. Make every effort, it says in Hebrews 12, 14, to live in peace with everyone. Everybody get that? Make every effort to live in peace with everyone, even the ones that hurt you. And in doing so, I would add this, you'll be holy. And to be holy, that's, that's part and parcel with holiness, is seeking peace. Everybody gets that? Without holiness, no one will see God. And that's not talking about salvific, you never, you know, you're going to be banished to hell. He's just saying if you want to experience life with God in view, you seek the holiness of God. That's how you keep seeing him and moving towards him and having life with him. If you get into the box, like I said, the, the VR goggles go on and you can't see him anymore. But if you stay out of it, he's visible. The next verse is the one that I wanted to read to you. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. He's talking about bitterness there, bitter root. It was a word that was used in the kitchen. It, was, it talked about how things would you know, get overly uh, you know, um, in one direction of taste, and it wouldn't taste good to us. Has anybody ever had that thing in your mouth where you're like, oh, anybody ever had that? That's this word. It was bitter, not just sour, but just bitter. It just tasted bad. And that's what hurt does to us. If it's left too long, it just puts a bad taste in our mouths. And he says, don't let that even take root. And so we have to seal it out. Sealing works in both, in both directions. You can seal things in. Like if you come to my house and we happen to have soda in the house in a two-liter bottle, and if I'm the last one to drink it before you get to it, you're going to have a hard time getting the cap off because I am convinced that the harder I can put that cap on, the longer those bubbles are going to last in that two-liter. Are you with me? That's one way that sealing works. It keeps stuff in. But there's another way that sealing works. It keeps stuff out. And that's the sealing that I'm talking about in this situation. I'm talking about Flex Seal. Anybody seen those commercials? It's that space-age polymer, right? It's like a paint that, you know, is uh, waterproof. And, and uh, I, I love the guy. I got his name right here. Hang on. Uh, the spokesman for Flex Seal is a guy named Phil Swift. And uh, Flex Seal, you know, he's got that voice, he's selling on TV. And remember, he took uh, uh, an airboat and he took all the metal panels off of the airboat and he lined it with, uh, you know, door screens. And he basically poured Flex Seal all over these door screens and he took it out on a swamp here in Florida. He's like, look, I'm dry and there's not a drop inside. New Flex Seal. Isn't that how they talk all the time? That's how these guys talk. 
So Phil Swift was talking about the kind of ceiling that I'm speaking of. It's a, uh, a ceiling that keeps things out. So I had you blow up your cheeks, push it all out, and yeah, seal tight. Don't blow up your balloons. Just follow me. This is how bitterness gets into our lives. Someone hurts us. And the pain begins. It can happen in childhood. It can happen in a marriage. It just happens. Okay? And they keep hurting us. And the pain grows. And it goes on and on and on. And we just stand in bitterness. We just, we just continue the way that we're going. No one else sees it, but it's burning us inside. In year over year, instance over instance, it grows. Sometimes with real offenses, real added offenses, oftentimes we create offenses. Does everybody understand that's what happens to us when we get mad at someone? They're the worst. They're, in, they're incapable of doing anything good. We interpret everything they do through the very darkest of lenses, and the, the, the hurt just continues to grow. Now, if I kept blowing into this thing, what would happen? Pa-pow, right? And that's what's going to happen in your life if you continue to ignore your bitterness and things continue to be added to it. It's going to blow up. Maybe it's already blown up. Maybe it's been one of those things where at the last Christmas you were at, this one person who has been hurting you your whole life said that one more thing. And you're like, that's it! <laughs> and off you went. And it all tumbled out of you. And your kids were looking out of you and being like, What's up? What's going on with dad and grandpa? And everybody is running for the corners, and you are losing it. And you've taken a, what's been a horrible, hard situation, and you've made it worse. So here's what Hebrews 12, 15 is teaching us today. Hey, man, don't let it take root. In fact, if it's here, clear it out. And then commit to moving forward, living a life marked by the grace of God, giving the grace of God, and refusing to allow hurt to register. So we're not blowing up our balloons today. All we're doing is tying the knot. Go ahead. Make sure there's no air in there. Get it all out, and then take the end and tie it off. It's harder than I thought it would be the first time I did this. But once you're done, just kind of hold that up for me. Most of the time, we'd, we'd go to the birthday party and think, well, someone messed up. This is a lousy balloon, right? <laughs> but this is the picture I want you to have from this morning. Ladies, I want you to put this in your purse. Just have it kind of knocking around with the rest of the stuff that goes to die there, right? <laughs> but the next time you're getting angry at that kid who's off the ranch with Jesus and is just crushing you and cratering you and and continuing to hurt you. Here's my prayer, that God would lead you to that purse and that you'd be fumbling around for your keys and you'd haul out this empty balloon with a knot in it and you'll remember Hebrews 12, 15. Don't let bitterness take root. Be free of it. Choose to forgive. Choose to be ready to forgive. Guys, you can put this in your wallet. You can throw it in the dash of your car. I don't care where you keep it. But here's my prayer. In the same way that God can orchestrate meetings in the Costco parking lot, when you're starting to feel the bitterness that comes for us all, I pray that you find this balloon and you remember, no, by God's grace, I'm not letting bitterness take root. Will you stand with me as we close today? Lord, your grace to us abounds. It's amazing. You are a good, 
good Father, you've been good to us all of our lives. And as we seek, as we sang before, to surrender this life to you, to walk with you in faith, to trust you, God, here's my prayer. Every head bowed, every eye eyes closed. Lord, lead us, even if we don't sense it now, lead us to the things in life where we've harbored hurts, to the relationships where bitterness has taken root, and help us, God, by your power to clear those things out. And moving forward, God, would you seal us tight against anything that our enemy would use against us, any hurts that would hold us back in knowing and following you. Grant us that, God, I pray. I pray there's lots of phone calls and conversations this week that begin the process of healing uh, in the lives of those who are listening to me now. Grant that, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. No bitterness.